Hey, and welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. You guys have no idea how long it's taken me to just say that. I'm on take number 10, and I'm really hoping I get through it this time. It's been that sort of weekend, it's been that sort of week, so I'm just asking that you bear with me, but hopefully this episode will put a smile on your face, make you think, you know, standard podcast kind of attributes. So without further ado, let's just jump straight in. Now, this is a boxing podcast, so we've got to start with the biggest piece of boxing news. Well, it's no surprise to me, as you guys already know, Anthony Joshua's revealed that he's injured. And they're very tight-lipped on the nature of the injury, which is strange, because if Anthony Joshua was a footballer, we'd have a clear diagnosis of the injury, and we'd have a reasonably robust prognosis over how long it's going to take and what that process is to return to full fitness. They've kept everything shady, which always makes me question it, number one. And number two, as soon as I hear Eddie Hearn making any kind of comment, I'm inclined to not believe it. So we're all here speculating and going, okay, well, what is the injury? So what we know for certain is it's serious enough that the leg is immobilized. Like, if you remember, I don't know if anyone remembers the tail end of Stone Cold Steve Austin's career. And the braces he'd have on his knees when he came down to the ring. Because his knees were pretty much shot, right? Joshua's brace is twice the size of that. For a man who's probably the same weight. But Joshua doesn't do as many miles as Stone Cold does in terms of actually, you know, Stone Cold used to work like 200 days a year. So you look at that that brace on his leg and you go, what has he done? Has he done an ACL? He wouldn't be out and about if he'd done his ACL. There's no chance in hell he'd have been stood up like that. There's no chance he'd have been able to give that speech. So now you're left with, he's either done one of his tendons. If he's done one of his tendons, then you ain't seen Joshua for another year, if ever. If he's done his ACL, you ain't seen Joshua for about a year, if ever. But as we said earlier, that's that's not really it. So you now look at it, is it his medial collateral ligaments? Feels right. If they're saying he did it running, which I don't believe either because Josh was not an idiot when it comes to running. Josh was about 11 or 12 years into a sport that he's done pretty well at. And he seems to have avoided being injured while running. And I assume he hasn't changed his running routes. Boxers very rarely do. So why all of a sudden would you start getting injuries? Were you careless? Is your body now breaking down on you? They're two valid questions. Or did you do it doing something else? And look, as boxing fans, we don't mind. That's the whole point. We don't mind. We don't care. If, if you were on a skateboard, if you were trying to do tricks on a motocross bike and you fell and your knee got twisted and you popped your MCL, fine. Just be honest with us and say, well, I am injured. And I'm going to be out for a while because all that's going to happen, I don't care how you do it, that knee is going to get tested. Because remember, that's the twisting knee for the left hook. If I remember correctly, it's his left knee that's gone. That's the twisting knee for the left hook. When you're you're trying to slip punches, which Joshua, Joshua likes to roll and slip, that's a lot of load on that knee. If I'm an opponent, I'm targeting that knee. In close, I might touch it. I might tap it with my own knee. I might step on his foot, push him, just to test those MCLs. So that's one of the reasons they're probably keeping the nature of the injury secret, so you can't attack it. But if I'm Pulev's coach, I'm like, you're going to find a way to get to that knee. 
bully him on the inside, shoot the knee up accidentally, hit his knee, he might be out. He might get that glass cough. But it also points to a thing. And like, I've done my medials before. And I, would ne I never had that brace. I had a bit of strapping on there, but the doctor said, keep it fully mobile. He mobilized his leg. That tells me his leg can't function. So it's a bit of a red flag, but it comes back to what I suspected all along. Joshua's only going to fight once this year. Because whatever this injury is, let's just say it's four to six weeks before he can get into camp mode. So four to six weeks takes us to the tail end of July. That's a 12-week camp that takes us to October, November time before Joshua's really ready to fight if he follows his standard protocol of doing a 12-week camp. So now... <laughs> If you're John Skipper, if you're Eddie Hearn, what do you do? You pull your hair out because that's not even a big revenue fight for Joshua. That's not who you want to see. The fans aren't excited by the Pulev fight. What's Pulev now? 40? 39, 40? We know Pulev's seen his best years. This is just, uh, it's a transaction. Like This fight's just a transaction. Like Joshua's performance will be perfunctory at best. He'll go through the motions and he'll win it. You might not stop him. He'll outskill him, outpoint him, outwork him with that running around the ring style. Although, let's see if the knee holds up for that. That's not a great fight for DAZN. That's not bringing in subscribers. It's not really doing pay-per-views over here. And so that leaves Joshua another year without a defining fight. So, 2018, no defining fight. 2019, no defining fight. Because as I said before, Ruiz wasn't that good. So 2020 without a defining fight? This isn't turning out to be a great career as things stand. Now look, Usyk can invoke his mandatory. Once he's got past Jasora, Usyk invokes his mandatory for the WBO. So we've got to see that in 2021. I don't think they've called the WBA mandatory since Fred Flintstone was engaged to Betty Rubble. Uh, fuck. It's not even Betty Rubble. Sorry. Since Fred Flintstone was engaged to Wilma. Jesus. Is this the sort of day I'm having today? So we haven't even been, like, we just haven't, we haven't had that defining fight we've been waiting for. And what it's doing is it's concertinaing all these defining fights in a short space of time because people are now going to be saying, look, to drive subscriber growth, you're going to have to fight Wilder. Whether he loses to Fury or not is irrelevant. You're going to have to fight him. And then when you if, you if you beat him, not even when, if you beat him, you've got to fight Fury. And that's all subject to Fury beating Wilder. But Joshua has to start having these fights. And DeZona now looking at this going, this is turning into an utter shambles. Because if you remember when Vladimir did it, Vladimir basically lined everybody up. Right? Because Vladimir was the, the money man in the division. And what Vlad would say was, we're going to pay you step-aside money twice because I'm going to fight these two guys. You're the third guy on that list. And everyone would just fall in line and they'd know when they were getting their shot. And it worked because he had the pull and he had the money and he had most of the belts. So you wanted to fight Vladimir. So you formed an orderly queue. That doesn't seem to be happening with Joshua. Because everyone's cottoned onto that game. So they're like, no, no, no. 
I'm going to invoke my mandatory status or I'm going to push for unification to take the power away. But what it means as boxing fans is you're not getting Joshua versus anyone significant in 2020. And you're not getting him against anyone significant in 2021. So he will have his defining fight. And like Klitschko is not defining because that's not two guys from the same era. Joshua will have his defining fight probably 10 years after he won the Olympic gold medal. But to be fair and for balance, Tyson had his first defining fight in 1996, 10 years after he became world champion. Was it 96 or 95? Yeah, who knows? When Tyson fought Holyfield, that was his defining fight. Two men from the same era. Lennox, hmm, depending on how you want to describe it, that might, all, that might have been nine years after turning pro. So Joshua's not off, off in terms of you know, statistics, but this is a guy, remember, Hearn was telling us no one's done this much in such a short space of time. Oh, who's done this much in 16 fights? And then it's all just tailed off. And if we're now talking about a Joshua who's partly broken and a guy who might be breaking down now because of the years and years of training, these are worrying times. Because the IBF have to be asking Joshua, what injury is it? Send us a doctor's diagnosis. Because if it is something like his cartilage is gone or he's got that Ledley King thing in that knee or... Maybe he has got some damage to the ACL. Maybe he has got some serious damage. If that is the case, what do you do with the belts? You can't hold them hostage. So what happens? WBA, he's already super champion, so you can't create, an well, they can create another belt, is the point. But I think it goes back to the tweet I sent out the other day where I said, heavyweight boxing's on pause for now. Because Joshua drives money and he drives interest you kind of want to be putting your fights in and around a Joshua fight to soak up some of that energy. If he's not fighting till the tail end of the year, no one's putting their big boys in before that. That doesn't make any sense. So boxing in the heavyweight division is on pause. You know? And there'll be some long-term questions to ask about Joshua. Can he still do these training camps? Does he still want to do them? Is he, is he breaking down? And to what extent is he breaking down? We're talking about Wilder breaking down as well. These guys are breaking down because they put their bodies through hell. But you know who's not breaking down? Dillian White. So <laughs> these guys need to be careful because it doesn't look like Dillian's getting injured a lot. So, you know, are, are the gaps closing, relatively speaking? Fury's not really getting injured a lot. And I guess that's testament to sometimes you've got to be a bit old school in the way that you train. Maybe that's the way to prevent injury. But I just wanted to touch on that in terms of Josh. I found that really interesting that, you know, we now see the injury. But the, I imagine this injury has been there for a while, but he had no choice but to appear publicly. And to do that, he had to wear the brace. I suspect that he's had that injury for a little while before and that it was probably more than the publicity machine is trying to make out. So this is what happens when you dither about making big fights. Life gets in the way. So people are losing money. 2020 is a write-off for Matchroom. It's a write-off for the zone. And it's probably even more of a write-off for Sky. Because they drag their feet. And let the execs all feel the fire for that. Because they took the piss out of the fans for too long. And now look, karma's bitten them on the ass.
But Joshua hasn't just been in the news because of his injury. I wish that was the case. But you know what boxing Twitter's like. You know what boxing fans in general are like. You know, they, they just want to be offended. Boxing fans generally just want to hate. And I never understand where this comes from. And I guess it's one of the reasons why if they outlawed boxing, I wonder what these people would do. I wonder where they would channel their energies if they couldn't do it in combat sports. So if you outlawed all combat sports, what would happen? It'd be a, it's an interesting question. But yesterday, they have a Black Lives Matter protest in Watford. Nothing unusual there. They're happening all around the country. Nothing unusual at all. Now, clearly, they couldn't get Elton John to do it, right? So you get the second most famous Watfordian, Anthony Joshua to do it. But he's probably a better fit culturally, as much as you know people don't want to say it, but he is. Now, Anthony Joshua, you can say a lot of things about him one way or the other, right? The criticism level that Joshua has always been, why is he so corporate? Why is he so manufactured? We want to see the real Joshua. We want to see Femi. This is what you heard year after year from 2012 to now. We want Femi. So yesterday you got Femi. No, no pretend hack tweets to Eddie Chambers. No pretend pictures in mosques praying. None of the stuff that they could hide behind. This was Anthony Joshua on Instagram Live. His own Instagram Live. All verified. This is all official. This is Anthony Joshua Live. And he gives a speech. He's a black man. He's an African man who's had experiences. He understands what it's like dealing with the police. So he has skin in this game. He has skin in this discussion. And he gives a speech about his views on the situation. He gives a speech in general. I didn't hear all of it. I'll hold my hands up. Bits of it I've had to go back and catch up on. But the hate... The negativity, the disrespect that Anthony Joshua has received. Remember, this is a man that has won Olympic gold for Great Britain, and we can debate the merits of that win. I'm, I'm happy to do so. But in the history books, Anthony Joshua has a gold medal for this country. That's more than anyone on this podcast has in terms of achievements for this country. We haven't sacrificed what he sacrificed for the good of this country. We haven't done shit. We sit and criticize. Anthony Joshua has something that says, I won this for Great Britain. Of all the big scary men that don't get paid to box, I was the best at one point. That makes him a national hero. Whether you want to accept it or not, that makes him a national hero without question, without qualification. It is not your right being sat in fucking Raynham or Yeovil or Stoke-on-Trent eating your fucking Doritos. It doesn't give you a right to question who this man is. I mean, you're sat there, 32 pounds overweight, your wife won't sleep with you because she can't find your dick, and you're there saying... Anthony Joshua's a disgrace. You're there going, I wouldn't buy a ticket for an Anthony Joshua fight now. Because he has said, 
he supports his community. But the line of argument I took real issue with was when people said Anthony Joshua was encouraging racism. Because what Anthony Joshua said was, and I'm paraphrasing here, don't spend money in their shops, spend your money in your community. And then he went on to say, this applies for all communities, was what he said. So there were three elements I took from that. One, do not spend your money in establishments that do not like you, that are racist towards you, which is quite logical. If you don't like being racially abused and you don't like being the victim of discrimination, don't spend money on those who would be racist towards you and who would discriminate against you. But there's an interesting question. How do I know who is racist? I look to those who have inside information on who's racist. Whatever your race, white, black, whoever, you tell me who the racists are. Point them out to me so I can avoid them. Please, that's what I ask you to do. Because once we can identify them, we can marginalize them and we can all do business amongst each other. No barriers, nothing. The second element was spend money in your own community. I don't understand what the hell's wrong with that. Uh, I find it ridiculous that anyone would get offended by that. And I, and I don't want this to be political, so I'm going to keep it boxing focused. Ted Cheeseman is an okay, like, he's an okay, like, middleweight, super wealthy. He's, he's okay, right? Ted Cheeseman may never hold a world title. I think the division's too strong. He won't. He'll probably win a British, maybe a European. He'll, he'll get to a certain level, right? Ted Cheeseman's no Eubank Jr. He's no global star, but he's a solid boxer and he's good, he's class. But this kid sells tickets to people. And when you ask them why they bought tickets off Ted, the answer is this, he's one of our own. Right? Ted Cheeseman, I don't think, is a Millwall fan. <laughs> From what I've heard, I don't think he's a Millwall fan. He's probably an Arsenal fan. So when they say one of our own, what do they mean? He's a Millwall fan, he's a Bermondsey boy. I don't understand any of this. I don't even think Ted lives in Bermondsey. What they mean is Ted Cheeseman is of our community. I don't even think it's a race thing. It's just Ted Cheeseman's from our community. We know his old man. We grew up with his old man. So we're going to support his old... I mean, we're going to support Wayne's kid. Because in him, we have Wayne. That's our connection. He's one of us. This is how boxers have always sold tickets. He is one of our own. Kevin Mitchell, he is one of our own. Dave Allen in Yorkshire, he's one of us. Everyone spends their money with people they identify with. But when Joshua says do it, it's racist? Why? I don't understand that. It's not logical. Look, a certain number of people are going to listen to this. Let's say 1,300, let's say 1,500, whatever it is, right? If I said, guys, look, I've got ice cream for sale. I've got protein ice cream for sale. If you guys want to, you know, have your sugary treat, but get some size and get some protein in you, I've got it for sale. I'd like to feel at least 100 people would go, I like Terry enough. And, you know, this whole podcast thing, this movement... I'm a part of it. I'm going to support him because he's hooked it up for me. 
this is how people grow. It's not, I'm not excluding anyone. What I'm saying is, if I have an option to spend my money, I want to spend it with those I have a relationship with. Real or imagined is irrelevant. If I'm recruiting for someone that's got specific Microsoft experience, the first person I'm going to get hold of is Ian Wellman. Shouts out to Ian Wellman. I hope he listens. Otherwise, I'm going to feel stupid. Right? If I've got comms work I need to do, I'm going to go to Riku because he's my friend. I will spend my budget with my friends. If I need to devise a strategy for expanding into China, I'm going to get hold of Dr. Winnie King. That's how you spend money. No one has ever complained about the fact that British business and British politics is built on this. The guy that sets up his own plastering firm, he does that when his mate's got the, the brickwork contract, right? So he brings his mate on site. Look, I'm going to bring this guy on. If I run a construction company, I need some plastering done, I'm calling up Charlie Harrison. If I need some, some electrician stuff, I'm calling up Idris Hussein. I'm calling up people I know because I want to see them do well. Now, if you're... You know what I mean, <laughs> if you're Robbie from Runcorn and you're quite rightly saying to me, I'm an electrician, why don't you hire me? Bro, I don't know you. I don't know what you're capable of. I don't know what your mindset is. Yeah? So I will give you something small to test you on. But Idris, Charlie, I know through boxing. I know what they are as men. I know what they're capable of so I can trust them. And because I'm invested in them, I want to see them do well. I'm, that's the reality of this world. You know, if they turn out not to be good enough, we find someone else. But everyone does that. It just so happens that in the case of black people, it was always frowned on when we did that because it seems to scare people. But then this swings into the third limb of what I mentioned in terms of Joshua's speech. Other communities can do this too. A lot of people don't notice this because if someone's Polish, if someone's Romanian, if someone's, I don't know, Serbian, they look like they're probably from here. Apart from Polish Lorna, who really doesn't. But most people, you take it for granted. I, I, I've not spoken to people about this. When you're white, you take it for granted that everyone with white skin belongs here. Until you hear the accent. Visually, you're like, ah, looks English, it's all right. But for me, I look at everyone and I see the differences. So when I sit down with, and, I, and I've had this before, I was, at a, I was at a Romanian barbecue and a guy pulls up in a G63 AMG. So I'm asking him, you know, what do you do? And he owns a couple of restaurants locally. And so he was telling me his story about how he came to Britain and he grafted. He do not like he grafted in a bakery for years. Just grafted. Then his brother and his cousin came over and they all grafted together, put some money in when credit was reasonably easy to get, lumped all that money in, gambled on borrowing more than they could afford, set up a business. Who do you think they sold to first? Other Romanians. That's what kept the business going initially with the other Romanians who were like, we need to support our brothers. 
as they expanded, the clientele grew broader. There's nothing wrong with that. You go up to Wembley, a lot of the bars are Albanian owned. And mostly owned by people who started by serving drinks in those bars. So when they took over, they'd say to people, come over from Kosovo, come over from Albania. We will give you a job. And then it's up to you to build your life, but we're going to help you. And then when you get somewhere, you've got to help someone else. This is how cultures and communities get established in this country. They build themselves up so they've got a critical mass, and then it's about integration. Because there comes a point where you need other people to help you. You don't do it because you hate someone else. You don't. Black people don't hate white people. They don't, and they fucking don't. Whatever you try and spin, please do not tweet me any bullshit because you will get blocked immediately, if not sooner. Black people don't hate white people. No one hates... We all hate racism. Now, I'm not precious on what that solution looks like, but do not join this discussion if you do not have a solution in your pocket. If you only have problems, you're part of the problem. Tell me what the solution is. At least Joshua's going forward with this. Like In that speech, there were some highlights for me. Some of the bits that made me chuckle, but there were some highlights. You know, because people were so quick to criticise, they forget what Joshua said. It's not like black versus white, black versus Asian, black versus Indian. It's a matter of the African and Caribbean community, 100%. And I'm proud of everyone that's here and I appreciate the people that aren't from the heritage coming together and supporting our cause. So I don't know how you can be more measured than that. I don't know how you can be more inclusive than that. I struggle to understand, in fact, how Anthony Joshua multiple belt holder, world champion. I'm struggling with how an ex-Olympian, a guy that's part of the fabric of British history now. I don't know how else he could have played that. If anyone's got any suggestions, by all means, inbox me, DM me. But I feel that he's, he's flown reasonably straight in that sense. He's even revealed that he's human. Um, a, a few words from my friend, Reese Tim. Oh, it's not Reese Tim, who is it? Yeah, that made me chuckle because I'm like, you know, clearly someone's handed him a handwritten script. It could have been from their mate in jail or whatever. I don't know. But Josh is like, yeah, I'll read it. And then he, he just looks and goes, I don't know what the hell this is. I might have to freestyle half of this myself. But I'm, like I said, I'm struggling to understand what people were so offended by. Like, he, he trod a reasonably sensible path. And what else I find interesting is we need more... Uh, African-Caribbean people in the police force to understand our culture so they don't have to racially profile us. So that's another subject for another day. But Mr. Who, who, who disagrees with that? Why would you say we don't need more black officers? There, there's no logical argument against that. There should be more black police officers. Why not? If, if black people want to do that, then they should. I think there's an education piece, which is wider, which says actually there's no shame in being a black kid and being in the police. Just don't do what these guys are doing by putting your knee on people's necks. But yeah, I, he's trod a reasonable path. So where's the controversy in a Joshua speech? A movement, as I said, it's about economic change, right? So that's what I'm saying is that us as brothers, we've come together. And, and no matter the cost, 
we are looking for maybe a derelict building that isn't being used for housing that we can purchase the freehold so our community can accommodate all of these people where we can come together without disturbing any neighbours a detached premises somewhere isolated even if you give us a permission to build something in the back of Cassavery where we can come together and unite and discuss about the issues that we face where kids haven't got to go home to no parents because they're working two jobs because the issue is when kids are finishing school at three and their mum and dad are working nine till six where do they go so that's what i'm saying we are not talking about can we have we're saying we have our own funds our own means and we want to put back into the community so we just need confirmation from the council that you are going to support our independent um plea with you that this is a community issue that we're trying to face as i said i'm once again, I don't understand where Joshua's veered so far off the beaten track there. He has his own money. He wants to legitimately buy a freehold and he wants to do something with it. Isn't this how capitalism works? Now, the fact that he wants to build a facility that means that kids can go there after school, you'd have to be a very callous human being to, to think that was wrong. So it comes back to the foundational question here. Why were people upset with Anthony Joshua speaking out? My instincts tell me it's one of two things. One, there are people who just always hate Anthony Joshua. The tribalism of boxing, we'll call it. And that's your Fury fans, that's your Wilder fans that became Fury fans, that's all those guys, right? They've got their guy now. And so anything Joshua does, they're going to find fault with. Because when Joshua looks bad, their guy looks good. And as long as it's that petty tribalism, and you can accept you're being petty, and it's childish, and it's what you should do when you're five years old, and maybe you should have a girlfriend, and if that's not enough, get two or three, I don't know. I don't mind that sort of tribalism, because we know who you are, and we understand you. The other side, which is a bit more sinister, is the idea that we will deny a multi-millionaire Olympic champion, national icon, a man, like I said, who's woven into the fabric of British history. We're going to deny this man the status of victimhood. When you're that big, when you're that strong, when you're that rich, when you're that successful, you can't possibly be a victim. But what about all those times when he wasn't Anthony Joshua, the public figure. What about all those times when he was Femi? Do you know what he went through then? Have you bothered to find out what he went through then? Maybe those past experiences are the reason he feels he has to talk. He has a right to speak. Now, I know that the things Joshua was saying yesterday are the things Joshua thinks. Things he feels. Does he need to educate himself a bit more? Absolutely. But that would just make him more powerful. Let's always remember this. When Muhammad Ali came out with the things he was saying, he wasn't praised. People were like, we missed the days of Joe Lewis. In the 60s and the early 70s, we missed the days of Joe Lewis. Remember, people wanted Joe Frazier to win Fight of the Century, January 1971. Because Joe Frazier was apparently the, the face of American boxing fans, and Ali wasn't. This thing of Ali being a cultural icon is recent. This thing of Nelson Mandela being a cultural icon is recent. That's why the ANC were 
on the list of terrorist organizations for years after Mandela was president. They had to get him an exemption so he could travel. Imagine that. Nelson Mandela had to get permission to travel to the United States and demonstrate he wasn't a terrorist of all people. So when you guys write your all-time list of favorite boxers and Muhammad Ali is on there and you share clips of Muhammad Ali or Michael Parkinson, remember he was hated in this period. Much like Joshua is now. And it was the same argument. You're just a boxer. Stay in your lane. But let's break it down. Anthony Joshua boxes for the public twice a year. If they go 12 rounds, it's 36 minutes each, 72 minutes. Even if you factor in the build-up. Four weeks of your life, Anthony Joshua's front and center. What do you think he is outside of that? He's a dad. He's a son. He's a man. He has to go to Tesco's. He has to go to Sainsbury's. He has to go and get food. He has to go and see his aunt. He has to go and see his aunt. He lives the life you live, albeit with a few more quid in his pocket. Joshua lives the life you live. So if Joshua's just a boxer who shouldn't talk about anything, are you just a scaffolder and you should shut the fuck up too? Are you just unemployed and you should shut the fuck up? Are you just stupid and you should shut the fuck up? When are you qualified to speak? If everyone has to stay in their lane. When are you qualified to speak? And when you are qualified to speak, what are you allowed to speak about? Ah, oh, Terry. You do a boxing podcast, you can only talk about boxing. Okay, we'll ignore the 17 years I played rugby. We'll ignore the playing for the county, playing for the Southwest, having trials with England. Oh, that's not relevant because I do a boxing podcast. I can't talk about rugby. Really? After 17 years? After playing with guys who went on to be pretty damn good? I can't talk about rugby. This is the problem people have. The, the, the fact of the matter is they want Joshua to be dumb, compliant, and not rock the boat. Those days are over. Now, I, 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 I don't even know, and a lot of people will turn this off. That's okay. By all means, turn it off. Because you're not the audience I wanted. The guys that followed me from New Age to here understood I'll always say what I think. I'll always do it through the lens of boxing because essentially that's what you listen for, right? You listen for boxing content. I think this is where the boxing discussion is right now. If I'm incorrect, feel free to pull me, pull me up on that. I, that's why I haven't talked about the wider Black Lives Matter movement and the, the spurious discussions around the NHS because that's not what this podcast is. This podcast is about boxing. And we have to talk about Anthony Joshua because he's one of the money men in the division. So all of you guys criticizing Joshua, just know why you're doing it. Because two years ago, he was a media puppet. Now he stepped out of his lane. You're now telling him, go back to being a media puppet. Be careful what you wish for. And for you people who just hate him because he's black, then please don't listen. I, don't, I think that's a minority of people, but don't listen. But more importantly, look, 
No one's looking intelligent by poking holes in what Joshua says or does, unless it's real hypocrisy. If he gets caught doing PEDs, if he's ducking. So let's talk about that. But what Joshua thinks and feels, we don't know the pre-Olympic Anthony Joshua. We don't know what pain he went through. Don't judge him. He has every right to speak about what he wants to speak about. And if you're scared that black people may get together and maybe do well for themselves, then that's on you. No matter what group it is, whether it's black people, Chinese people, women, um, transsexual, whatever group it is, them being successful doesn't stop you being successful. So don't be on the sidelines hating people who are just trying to do better for themselves. Don't be that person. 